Hi, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Ready on camera three. And hey, camera three. Well, thank you, Topo Gigio. And now, right here on our stage, BJ and the Affordables. some good information. Hello, hello, and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z as we begin the exciting venture into Billy Joel's catalog of songs that begin with the letter T, as in Mr. And you know what that means. It means the long-awaited Alan Folly, <laughs> that it will no longer be a folly, who, and now the the songs, they're a-coming. Alan will be exonerated <laughs> during this time period. But today we begin with an absolute perfect way to kick off the tease in what could have completely kicked off the Innocent Man album, but actually is the fifth track on the first side, which is Tell Her About It and Billy's homage to the Supremes. I, I guess the reason I always think that it's the first song off of the album is because it was the first song to be released from the album a month before the album was officially released. Tell Her About It came out on July 28, 1983. And on September 24th, 1983, it made it to the number one spot on the Billboard charts. Number one. There aren't that many Billy Joel songs that went to number one. So it's a big, big deal. Doesn't mean it's his best song. It just means it was out at the right time. And uh, for some reason, this was one of them. You know, it beat out Michael Sambella's song. Alon, do you know it? Maniac. Oh, you do know from the movie Flashdance. Those of you who are old enough to know, unlike Alon, know that that song was sick huge. So to knock it off was a big feat and often we talk about how Billy Joel did not have the power to knock off many of the number one songs as we make fun of all the time. But seriously, to knock off Maniac, I mean, that Maniac song was a, a maniac of a, a, a hit. And, and, and that song 
and making that video made that movie Flashdance so popular. And I don't know if you've seen Flashdance, Alon. It's one of the worst movies ever made. And it just showed you what MTV was capable of if you just had a decent song and you put a couple clips together. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I've never seen the movie, but I do know Maniac. That's a song I like a lot. And uh, that's pretty cool that uh, Billy Joel was able to knock that off because we always talk about all the songs he couldn't knock off. That's right. That's right. We always talk about it. So this was great. So anyway, the song, uh, because I don't know, I guess everybody hates Billy Joel. It only lasted a week. Uh, He made it, but it only lasted one week. And uh, that was after, oh, that's 1983. That's after every breath she takes lasted like, you know, 12 weeks. (laughs) So every breath you you take. What? Every every breath you take. What did I say? Every breath she takes. Oh, my God. I'm an idiot. Um, I I, I get every. (laughs) Just the way we was. (laughs) I am horrible. Anyway, it only lasted one week, but his only second number one song, and that's after nine albums in. So that's something else. This smash song clearly actually only appears on Greatest Hits number two and not even the full version at that. Uh, there was a remix by the legendary Jellybean Benitez, which was released as a 12-inch single. But for all that, even though we'll find this out from Alan later in the show, I, I don't think he's played the song in concert in almost 40 years, which leads me to say once again, it's as if it's been erased from existence. I think Billy Joel wishes it was erased from existence. Maybe we'll talk about this later, but obviously this, although it's a number one song, is not one that he considers one of his great songs. Let me get to the rankings because they're interesting as hell. Here again, we have this wonderful disparity. Is that the right word? Yeah, that's a word. (laughs) When there's a, a complete gap in between our two pals that rank these songs, if I got that word right, Christopher Bonanos and Glenn Gamboa are completely out of whack with each other. We always start with Christopher Bonanos. Where do you think he puts this number one Billy Joel song, which Billy Joel doesn't like? I feel like Glenn Gamboa is more of the kind of guy who just likes things on the surface level. So he might be into this song. I feel like Bonanos would have some gripes about it. And we already know he likes some other songs from An Innocent Man, like An Innocent Man, a ton. But maybe that means that this one falls off. So I'll say that he, if you're saying he did pretty he went, someone went pretty low on this song. I'll say uh, 81. You're pretty close. He went 72. One of what I refer to as Joel's instructional songs. <laughs> Records aimed directly at young people who need a boost in times of trouble. This one tells guys to risk rejection and be honest and vulnerable with their crushes. And even though you know it probably didn't go well for some of those nerd boy listeners, it's a hard song to hate. Perfect. Glenn Gamboa went way up which i think you have almost have to do whether you like it or not because it's a number one song he has it at 20 uh, that's too high well the fans have it at 30 that might make sense i could see it being like in my top 40 or 50 not that it's uh i like hidden gems more than big hits like this but it's a good song it is a good song and i i guess i have kind of a connection to it in so many different ways Obviously, this was a special time for me in the sense of learning about Billy Joel. I've already told you about the Allentown of Pressure and the Nylon Curtain. So waiting for a new Billy Joel song, as it was for me with uh, whether it was Running on Ice or Modern Woman and the Bridge, you know, a fresh Billy Joel song 
was extremely an exciting day. And boy, was this song exciting and entertaining when it first came out. And I'll tell you this, that this was the exact time when I started to do stand-up comedy. So I had I would drive from New Jersey to Brooklyn. And I always remember driving over the Brooklyn, the sorry, the Verrazano Bridge, going to Pips in Brooklyn. And I only had an AM radio. And so I'd pray for anything good to come. I'd love when Maniac came on because that was a really hot song to go over the bridge. I'm like, I'm going to have a great night of comedy. You know, if that song came on and I think Elton John's I'm still standing. Right. They meant Mm -hmm. so much to me. But this was in the mix as well, because this was right during that time period, right during that summer, you know, first doing comedy at a club with these weirdos uh, at, at, at Pips and this song just you know it was when it came on the radio i was like so happy because remember there was no way to make your own playlist while you were driving and i mean i didn't even have an fm radio i mean i had an am radio i had to pray that somebody was going to play something decent on am radio if any of you even know what that could possibly be right now it's just sports and news you know, they don't play music on it. Yeah, I know. I'm so beyond like this idea that AM radio is music. Cause like for me, it's always been FM. It's like, it's way before my time. Yeah. So, you know, after Howard Stern was on, they would play music. Thank God. And I would crank it up in my Mercury Montego. And I absolutely loved this song so much. I thought I- it was great. I can see how this song could have really helped you in your formative years because it's all about communicating and being honest with women. And you're probably the most honest person, like way too honest because of this song. You just like listen to it to a T and you just tell women exactly what you think at all times. Well, here's the problem, Alon, is that, as you know, I never really listen to any Billy Joel's lyrics, or at least I didn't back then. I never listened to songs. I don't none of them have meaning for me. It is all melody until I really get into a song and maybe realize what it is. Uh, You know, perhaps I guess I must have known that every breath you take (laughs) uh, was about a a guy who's obsessed with a girl and a stalking thing. Okay. Maybe I knew that for sure, but I mean, I knew what this was about, but it's kind of funny. You mention it because when I was in college and I guess this was 83. So I guess, I mean, I was a sophomore or something. I remember liking a girl and I don't remember who it is, but I completely remember the scenario so well. And I was talking to a friend in his room. Maybe we had gotten high and I was complaining about a girl. I'm not complaining. I was just like, I really like her. I don't know what to do. And he says, Billy Joel, man, Billy Joel. And I'm like, I, what the hell are you talking about? Tell her about it, man. You got to <laughs> tell her about it. I'm like, oh, I get it. I mean, I swear to God, that scenario absolutely happened. It's right out of say anything. Uh, what are you guys doing here on a Saturday? Conscious choice, man. <laughs> I, don't know. Like, I mean, you guys don't know the reference, but Lloyd, man, no babe is worth it. No, no. Listen, hang with us, man. We'll teach you Bibles for right, the truth. Right. Lloyd, man, you can't even trust them, man. Because right, you know what's man. about? They spend your money and they tell their friends everything, everything. man. It's about economics. That's valid, man. They tell them everything, That's man. Valid. All you got to do is find a girl who looks just like her, nail her, and then, right. and then dump her, man. Dump her, Get her man. off your Lloyd mind. Right. Your only mistake is that you didn't dump her first. What? Diane Court is a show pony. You need a stallion, my friend. Walk with us and you walk tall. Walk tall, my man. Bitches, man. 
You can give that kid a compliment. Hey, dude, I better bail. All right, man. See you later. Later for you, Luke. Be cool, man. I got a question. You guys know so much about women. How come you're here at, like, a gas and sip on a Saturday night completely alone drinking beers? No women anywhere. By choice, man. That's yeah, right, man. It's a conscious choice. It's a choice, man. Choosing to be here. I want to be here. That's what it. Billy Joel, man. Got a Billy Joeler. It Tell makes sense, it. right? Because he wrote this song as like a roadmap for curly-haired Jews like yourself. Yes, he did. Because yes, basically, did. you know, his whole life, he's with Elizabeth and things aren't working out. All of a sudden now he's banging supermodels and he's so happy. He's like, I got to let these guys know the secret. I figured it out. All you got to do is communicate and you can get with a Christy Brinkley or an Elle McPherson. And the only thing he left out was that you could do that if you communicate and your Billy Joel. Right. He completely left that out. Uh, because as I did speak to this girl, um, it was a big mistake and I left myself <laughs> hanging there. Yeah, he's completely wrong. In college, uh, the key to getting a girl is lying, uh, being a complete <laughs> douchebag. And uh, that is how you get girls in college. Now, perhaps after maybe he's talking to somebody who's about 25 because then you want to be a better person. But in college, what I found was that being a complete dick is a much easier way to get girls. Uh, the problem for me was I couldn't get out of the character. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so you're still stuck. You have that problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this song resonated in every way possible because think about what I just told you, right? I'm doing comedy, right? I mean, it's like, all right, so first night I do comedy, and we've spoken about this on the show because it is relevant to Billy Joel in many ways. The first night, is at Pips in Brooklyn. I think I, I think I explained the story. I saw the guy, the guy who owns the small club on Letterman. And he said, come down Wednesday nights. We have an open mic night. So I go down. I think it's going to be really crowded. No one's there except me. I'm wearing my tie <laughs> and my Seinfeld tie. And I, I see the bartender. I'm like, I'm here for the open mic night. He goes, I go see the colored guy in the back. And then me and that guy became friends. And that next night he invited me to Dangerfield. That next day, the next Sunday, right after. So the second time I ever did comedy was at Dangerfields. And that was right after this video came out mm -hmm. where Billy and Rodney were together. We knew that Billy was doing Rodney's uh, movie, Easy Money. And for Rodney to appear in this video was the greatest thing ever for me. Because everyone knew I was a huge Rodney fan. And I was a big Billy Joel fan. So the combination and the, the meshing of these two. This song was great, and it was really funny. The video is fantastic. It's great. I mean, it holds up in a, in a sense of its idea and concept. It obviously doesn't hold up because a lot of you notice again, what is with Billy Joel and these and these head turns, the mugging for the camera that was in uh, we what's the one that she's right on time, remember? Yeah, he well, he says he's not. I'm not an actor. I uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not it's comfortable not in him. front of the camera. It was everybody though doing it. I mean, they're just always doing the the the, the double takes. Yeah, well, yeah. There's the one part where the two boys do that coordinated like double take. Like they look left, they look right, they look forward. It's weird. Just like Billy and that girl did, and she's right on time. Yeah, but also the bartender does it too at one point. This was called dancing back then. Well, that's true. Well, how about that uh, that gay guy that's trying to, that, that's supposed to be the lead guy talking to the girl? Oh, on the street? Yeah. 
and he's clearly gay <laughs> and uh, like and then he gets to you know shot down and then he goes dancing with her and horrible dancing worst i've ever seen well i thought yeah he like seems straight i guess and then she walks away to look at the tvs in the window and then when he goes over to her it's like it is a very gay dance yes, as he did so you're like oh that's why this isn't working out yes, i see exactly right 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 and uh but that's great in front of the TV shop. Again, that's even before my time. I guess that was a, they always seemed to depict that movies with everybody watching TV at a TV store in every movie we've ever seen. You know, everybody's watching Ed Sullivan at a store on the street. You know, yeah. any movie about the 50s. But, right. Now, uh, now we just have our smartphones to look at. We have the TV in front of us always. <laughs> exactly. It's such a great video and it's so much fun. And the fact that Rodney, when they that first shot of him, giving him the OK. And then, of course, the second shot, which is ridiculous, where the time he's like, come on, he's going over time. Yeah. And, then, and then, of course, does the the ending where he's looking at him. He takes off the glass. I always remember that look. He's like looking at him like it was like in uh, ironically the same year. We're staying alive where the movie staying alive Saturday Night Fever 2, where John Travolta bumps into Sylvester Stallone on the street give, and gives the same look. Sylvester Stallone directed the movie. So there's a small part where they bump into each other, gives him that same look that Billy Joel's given to Rodney, where he takes half off the glasses and like, wow, cool, Rodney Dangerfield. And he's like, uh -huh. hey, thanks for warming them up for me, kid. You're all right. And then, of course, you see the gag coming. Oh, the talented Pat Patrushka. What is it? Patrushka? Patrushka, the dancing bear. The dancing bear. I mean, you see it coming and it still doesn't matter because Rodney's expressions are amazing. I love this video. I love this song. And not only are Rodney's expressions amazing, but like, you know, he always has that kind of like that sweaty, uncomfortable look. And the video, that theater they shot it in, apparently it was like over 90 degrees that day. There was no AC. So it probably was, he probably really was at, at his sweatiest of all time. So it, it was perfect, Rodney. Well, now, what what theater was that that they were shooting it at? Because I also saw the director talking about or it could have been John Small talking about that. That's where they also shot Tootsie, which we've bought up. Uh, during scenes of an Italian restaurant because it was shot right across the Russian tea room. So we were talking about Tootsie again. It keeps coming mm -hmm. up. It's also the same around the same year time period. Yeah, it was shot up in, uh, I guess, up in Harlem, a place called Museo del Barrio. It, I don't know why Tootsie would have been shot up there. That's why I can't figure well, it maybe, out. Well, maybe he was talking about a different scene in this video that was near Tootsie, not the theater. Maybe it's the bar. Yeah, like the bar was out actually in Bay Ridge that bar that they shot in was kind of some close to where Saturday night fever was shot. Oh, that's so weird. That's where the, that's around where the comedy club was. So isn't that funny that um, everything took place around that Saturday night fever area? Yeah. Yeah. So they were all over the place. This was like a big shoot, a couple of days. And what's funny is the shoot took place the exact same night of this famous Diana Ross concert in central park, where it was going to be t televised live on showtime or something. And it got, there was a huge lightning storm. 50 mile per hour winds and the whole thing was a big uh, mess. But, you know, this is basically Billy Joel's like Supreme song. So this is him doing Diana Ross. And then that same very night that he's recording his video, oh. Diana Ross gets rained out. Wow. I didn't even think about that. I forgot about that. Right. He was saying that I guess this could have been the last song they put on the album. I'm not positive, but I know he was saying he did the whole album and didn't have a Supremes like song. And then apparently did this. I, yeah, I, I think that's the chronological. I, I'm not positive. Yeah, he said he did it. I think he said like in the middle of the process, maybe maybe like say the later half. I don't think it was like the last thing he did. But basically, yeah, he like loved the Supremes. They always have these advice songs. So he was like, I got to write an advice song. 
But that's one of the reasons why he doesn't like the song now. He feels like he was being too preachy. Well, that's cool that he thinks he is too preachy. Maybe it is too preachy. When we get to You're Only Human, it feels similar in many ways. He's also, you know, talking about that. But that I don't know if that's considered preachy, but it's very similar. But yeah, he was saying that the Supremes always talk to women advice. So he's like, let me give boys advice. But who takes advice from a 34 year old? You know, I mean, it's it's still not old enough. No, it is. It is because he's with Christy Brinkley. So everyone's like, how did this happen? We got to know what's going on. But this whole album, you know, you also have leave a tender moment alone, which is also kind of like advice, but they're at odds with each other because it's like, tell her about it is about telling her the truth and leave a tender moment alone is like, don't tell her too much. Yeah, You are right about this album in general, right? He is trying to, I mean, the reason why this song probably made it to number one, I mean, it certainly is catchy and it is fun. But no, everybody knowing that this was the album where he was now married to Christy Brinkley dating what? Oh, he was only dating at the time. Well, whatever it was, and it was huge. Any song he would have put out first, I think, would have went to number one because just people wanted to see him and see how this could have happened. And they wanted to know more. And then if this song in any way is saying, and 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 you, there's no way you don't think about Christy Brinkley when you hear this song. So that's also plus at this point she was also in vacation. So I mean, yeah. it does it, it works. There was no way this wasn't going to be number one. They they were just two. It was two perfect storms coming together. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about just the fact that they were always in the news and everybody wanted to know. How could this happen? <laughs> and that, and therein just lies the interest and the fun. And then you make a fun video and he looks cool in it in a way or as cool as he can look with the glasses. And <laughs> yeah, that's his coolest. Dancing is awful, but, you know, who cares? It's good enough. And he just and he's cool as the bartender. I like when he's the bartender. I feel like that's kind of going back to Piano Man where he's playing the bartender instead of the bartender. And I, I, I like that kind of aspect to it as well. Yeah. And, you know, what's cool when he's doing that bartender scene, apparently he would he was supposed to be serving the beer, but he would keep taking drinks like in between shots. And he was like, I got to see what I'm serving my customers. <laughs> so he was like joking around with everybody about it. Apparently, Christy Brinkley, he wanted her to do a cameo in the video, obviously, as as we know, and we've talked about, like, if you have Christy Brinkley, like, why not use her? But she was in Malibu, so she wasn't available. And Billy was noticeably upset about that situation. I would have been. Well, that makes so much. I, I it's an excellent question. I never thought about it before. Why isn't she in the video? Good point. You know, I mean, why? Well, she couldn't fly out for one day. They couldn't move the video. One day, I think they shot it in one day. Remember, I told you they only shot videos in one day usually. I mean, it was two days. Right. It was about a hundred thousand dollar budget, which was a really big budget to shell out for a music video. They edited the whole thing in in just a couple of days, also, which is crazy because there's a lot of scenes here. But they got it all cut up and sent to MTV really fast. But it's so great, even when the uh, they're on the Ed Sullivan show, they got a guy who looks exactly like him. I mean, it was really perfect. It's Will Jordan. I don't know who that is. He's he is the preeminent uh, Ed Sullivan impersonator who used to go on the Ed Sullivan show, and like he was known as like the guy. And he has said that like Ed Sullivan didn't really have mannerisms. He wasn't the kind of guy that's like easy to like make fun of. So he kind of just made up stuff. And then everyone else's Ed Sullivan impersonations are just doing his impersonation. Oh, isn't that funny? Even saying things like really big shoe it comes oh, from wow. this guy. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's fascinating. I mean, I've done that a hundred times too. I mean, you know, I didn't even know who he was. And wow, that's interesting. That's yeah. so funny. You've been he, doing a Will Jordan. 
Yeah. Oh, that's so there are that happens a lot. Everybody always feels that uh, if you're doing Christopher Walken, you're doing Jay Moore doing Christopher Walken. Yeah. Or like if you're doing George Bush, then you're doing Dana Carvey. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? But I love when uh, the whole audience is clapping along while they're singing. You know, it's such a joyful song and it's it's such a fun time. And then, of course, it is the 80s. It is MTV. MTV's in full swing. There has to be a uh, girl night girls in 90s pillow fight scene because man, maybe that's why Christy Brinkley didn't want to come in. Uh, what 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 the hell is this? He's like, what? It's an MTV. What am I going to do? I don't have any <laughs> girls in it. Christy. It, it looked like the sleepover from Greece. Yeah, it looked exactly like that, which, of course, is smart because that takes place in the 50s. So it makes a lot of sense. But I bet you that was put in because Christy Brinkley couldn't be in it. And you can't have a video on MTV without scantily clad girls at that time. And he's no idiot. Well, in this article um, about the making of the video, John Small, like apparently some like hot blonde showed up and John Small's like, like, honey, you're five hours early. And then uh, he says to the crew, like, yeah, I met her on an airplane. I told her she could be in this uh, sleepover scene. <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't you? I would have done the same thing. All those you know, guys. He, he's no getting idiots. over the Elizabeth Weber relationship. He's <laughs> he's living his life. And finally, yeah, Billy is, too. Be. But that's great when uh, Billy's the pizza delivery guy. I mean, that's the way all the videos used to go. The guy that directed this video, Jay Dubin, I think his name is. Right. He he was contacted by John Lennon in 1980 to do some before they had videos, uh, as we've spoken before, to do some movie clips for Double Fantasy. Mm -hmm. And he went in and shot one day, I think at the Hit Factory. They they exist. Somewhere, a couple of the songs from the album, and then he was going. I think they did shoot uh, him doing Double Fantasy, and then he got assassinated, and then they never. It's never been seen anywhere or heard of, and nobody knows where it is. But, oh wow! Yeah, this guy got contacted by John Lennon, one of those things, and he's apparently he had one of the few cellular phones in 1980, <laughs> like a giant army phone, and John, and he's like, "This isn't John Lennon." He goes, "No, I." I what, I swear to God, no, I'll sing something for you. And he, he said to sing something on the piano because the guy didn't believe. Him. Why would he believe him? So, yeah, this guy was um, working with, uh, you know, he was, he was doing all right for himself. That's pretty cool. There's a funny Jay Dubin story in this behind the scenes where apparently he asked the mom in the living room scene to take bigger bites of the chicken from the TV dinner. Oh, and yeah. she says, but it's not even cooked. So she, she'd been like munching on this raw chicken. Oh, for the shoot. oh. well. How about did have you heard um, the verse that never made it in? Yeah, and I can see why it didn't make it in. It sucks. Yeah. Thank you. 
listen, boy, don't take love for granted because it might, it all might fall apart. You know that love can change. It won't be the same infatuation likely starts right there. That's a problem. Yeah. Because you're going to have to like each other too. <laughs> for that to work, she's got to hear from you. <laughs> I think singing it that way is the only way to sing it. <laughs> that's so crazy um yeah these lyrics are it's like really bad for the rhyme and for the singing you can hear when he's singing it like it, in, infatuation likely starts is such a, a mouthful yeah it's too much but i gotta say so these lyrics the opening lyrics are really terrific listen boy i don't want to see you let a good thing slip away you know i don't like watching anybody make the same mistakes i made that's it's, it's really good it flows real nice yeah. and then uh what's the one with the uh She's a trusting, right? Isn't that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a trusting soul. She's put her trust in you. But a girl like that won't tell you what you should do. He's so talented at writing lyrics. And and, and it's, that's why it's funny to see bad lyrics. But then to know these aren't working. Let's move on. Yeah, a good editing choice. And look, the song was a little bit long, right? I mean, it's over four minutes, I think. Yeah. So maybe that was a conscious decision like by Phil Ramone, like, look, this is going to be a single, but like, we can't really push it this far beyond three Oh five. So let's cut out this one bad first. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the thing, but uh, yeah, I mean, you have, there's no reason you have two verses. They both start with listen, boy. The second one is listen, boy. I'm sure that you think you got it all under control. You don't want somebody telling you the way to stay in someone's soul. And th those are the best. Then I, then I always, I don't, like him that much you're a big boy you're a now. big boy now <laughs> big girls don't cry but i kind of like how the song starts with two verses before it goes to the chorus yeah. yeah well i think most songs start with two verses before they get to the chorus so i mean tell her about it tell her everything you feel give her every reason to accept that you're for real tell her about it tell her all your crazy dreams that's fantastic let her know you need her let her know how much she means they are terrific lyrics and maybe if they don't hold up they certainly were good and excellent for a pop song back in the day. Yeah. And I think they do hold up. I don't know why. I mean, he's 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 really hard on this song. I think this would be great to hear him sing live. I think it also has to do with the notes, the 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 way he sings that I don't think he can hit. You know, I, I don't think he can sing a song like this these day and age. However, what I would do if I was him is he doesn't seem to have a problem with it. Have that Michael Dell, whatever his name is, or Crystal sing it. You know, yeah. somebody else sing it that, uh, you know, because now that we've been to the show and we've had the thing where I talk about, I don't know what works and what doesn't work. I'd like to see what would happen if you played this song. I get the feeling the crowd would really be into it. They would have to. It's a number one. So it's a song that even if they're just casual fans, they know it. And for the diehard fans, we all know we haven't, even though it's not our favorite, we haven't heard it in 35 years. Yeah. Oh, so is that the, is that the stats? Yeah, so he hasn't played this since 1987. He's, it's, he's played it 87 times, the 45th most played song. The last show he ever played it at was in October 1987 in Melbourne, Australia, which was the second show that our guest Joel Osborne went to. Wow. That was the very last time he ever played this at that show that he was at. Crazy. Maybe that's why Joel got so enchanted. I'm like, I bet you he'll never play this again. I'm so glad I was here for that. <laughs> Somehow he knew. <laughs> They'll never let us show that again. Not in a million years. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he really. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about it when we were coming up with to the song. I was very excited about it. You know, I told you I felt like I had a personal connection to this one as well as some of the others. I was like, geez, 
I haven't heard this song in years. I haven't heard it played on the radio. I haven't never heard it when I say Alexa play Billy Joel, which I shouldn't have just said right now. <laughs> uh, and and I don't remember seeing it on any concert lists. So I was really looking forward to hearing it again and then wondering why it doesn't work anymore. I'm confused by it. Yeah, not to mention, we know that Billy likes these songs where he can stand in front of the mic and dance a little bit. He, lo- he loves being a front man. And this song is one of the best ones for that because he it's does. When you see the few live videos that are out there, like there's the one from Wem- uh, Wembley Stadium, Wembley Arena. He, uh, you know, he's doing all his moves from the music video. I mean, they're crazy. His hand motions for every single lyric are like a little bit over the top. He'd be great at charades, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that's like his thing. But he's into it. The whole the band sounds great. It's a cool show. And the people in the audience there are even doing those dance motions, almost like in the music video. Yeah, they have a shot from like behind some people's heads and they're all doing coordinated moves. Yeah. Swaying back and forth and clapping at the same time. Yeah. And I like also he always puts on his shades when he does it, which is kind of just right out of that thing you do, which was depicting the early 1960s, like around the Beatles time. Uh, You know, there's this guy that was always on you know, called Shades. He was the drummer. But yeah. Billy Joel always puts on his shades for this song when he sings it for some reason. I mean, he's, wear- he's wearing his glasses throughout the entire video, I think. Yeah. You know, actually, I'm thinking now, maybe one of the reasons, this is going back to the Wembley thing, um, and maybe this is because he has his shades on. It's hard for him to see his lyrics. But he he flubs a lot of lyrics in this song. Maybe that's a reason why he doesn't perform it so much. Maybe it's confusing. What do you mean he flubs it? In the Wembley one, he skips oh, the first well, half of the bridge he just skips those two lines altogether and then in one of the later choruses he doesn't rhyme because he's taking some lines from an earlier chorus and then using the second half of this other chorus because it's all they're all kind of similar it's all the tell her about it lines have little variations the listen boys have variations i can see this being a song that he just gets confused with and said ah screw it you know also um the video says that the whole video takes place on Sunday, July 31st, 1963. That was actually a Wednesday. You've been just out. Oh my God. And uh, that's just very bad planning. Uh, well now, okay. We got to make, make a list of these things that if we ever get Billy Joel on this show, we have to bring up. Well, of course it was probably difficult to find out in that day and age, in that day and age, 83, when july 31st was i seems like you could have figured out which july was you know i mean why not be accurate why not you you can definitely (laughs) figure that out that's like so easy it's not like they didn't have calendars or almanacs and things like that it wasn't as easy as things weren't as easy as you think back then you really have to put a lot of time into it and you'd have to do it in your head i don't know where you'd find the information really how would you go about finding what day of the week something was in 1963 if you couldn't use the internet what would you do i go to the library and i would look up uh there probably is like you know uh, here's like the world almanac from 1963 and it probably has a calendar in the back of it you know or you have you have one of those friends like one of those autistic friends who's like (laughs) who just knows oh 1942 uh they didn't have people back then like that they were they existed once again this is a mistake of the text on the music video. Just like, I think it was pressure was where there's that yeah. game show scene. Yep. And where there's all those typos. So it's the same guy, probably the same guy is screwing everything up. <laughs> yeah. Who's ever in charge of these videos. It's awful. Did you see Billy Joel on Stephen Colbert talking about this song? No. So this is his appearance from a few years ago. And they, they played a game called like the real story behind Billy Joel's hits. And they would just make up fake, like fake facts about different songs. So his fake fact about tell her about it 
was that the it that he's telling her about is his third nipple. <laughs> what? That's what he said, but he's yeah. kidding, right? Oh, it's a, yeah, they're all fake, but they were funny. It's a it's a funny clip. That's right. They do like ten of them. They go through a lot of songs. Uh, that's pretty cool. What, what do you make of uh, BJ and the Affordables? Why do you call him that? I guess this is be like he's self deprecating, so kind of like we're not as good as any other band. We're literally just like the cheapest band you could get because usually it'd be like you know it's Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. The, oh, the band has like a really classy name, and his are just like eh, we're just some trash. He is funny, but I will tell you that every. Thing I've seen about people talking about making the video or working with Billy Joel. They all say he hated doing videos, which I really didn't know. But I guess he, but which I did know, he knew how important they were and he was never difficult to work with. And I guess clearly he just said, whatever the director comes up with, I'm good with. And that's cool. Yeah. Although he did mention in one interview that one of the early ideas was to do this video as like a beach blanket bingo kind of throwback. And he was like, no, this is like a Motown song. We're not doing some crappy Elvis movie. Right. But once they figured out, what about you on the Ed Sullivan show? He's like, perfect. Hello. I even love those old CBS cameras. It's like an episode of Bye Bye Birdie or like a production of Bye Bye Birdie where they always have the cameras, the CBS cameras. Yeah. You got those old cameras. You got this, that whatever that microphone is. He called it something. There's something. It's a shore mic. There's a certain type, I guess, that was used back then. Yeah. Uh, the whole look of it is great. Now, there's a really bad video of this song. The uh, Disney Channel group Kids Incorporated have a, a cover of this song we've gone we've talked about one other song that they did we of did. billy joel's yeah i don't remember what that one was this one i mean they're they're all bad it's so cheesy billy always says that like he feels like this music video his music video made the song feel kind of bubblegum but it is like the hardest edged video when you compare it to the kids incorporated version which is <laughs> which is all the girls in the cast singing because it's like they're talking to a boy so they made it like all the girls were singing except that mario oh, lopez God. is miming on the drums in the background Mario Lopez is in that? Yeah, he's not singing. He's just the drummer. Oh, boy. It's it's bad. It makes you want to vomit. Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? Yeah, I got a great one. Tell her about it went to number one. But some asshole totally screwed Billy out of winning best male vocal, best song, best record, and best album of the year at the Grammys. And it wasn't Stinger Michael Jackson. Who was this traitorous beast? Elton John? No. Bruce Springsteen? No. Think... Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. <laughs> Frank Sinatra? No, it was Phil Ramone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Phil Ramone produced the song Maniac. Okay. <laughs> so so Phil Ramone replaced himself on the charts, but he also produced the Flashdance album, which won that year and beat out an innocent man. You traitor! How dare he? Right? I, uh, you, you asked that question in such a weird way. Well, that was the fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so. That's insane. He, so he, he's a producer awful? maniac. Isn't that awful? If that was me, 
I'd be so furious that the producer of my album ended up winning, winning a Grammy that year, but not with my album. I would have been furious. I yeah. can't believe they worked together again. That would have been it for me with it. I would have, the bridge would have been you're, you're out. Jerk well, off. it was, he let him have one more album and he said, that's it. Cause I wouldn't have Phil, even Phil's that. probably walking around his Grammy around his neck on a big chain. I would have been so pissed off. So pissed off if he had competing albums and he was my producer. Uh, I, I just feel that it's so not right. I mean, I know it, I think it does happen a lot, but I, I just would have been furious. All those categories, Michael Sambella, for some reason, was never heard from again, was in all those categories, you know, maybe canceling each other. Well, Michael Jackson was that year, so there's no way to win. But And Sting and everybody. They split the Michael vote. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Well, there was no way Michael Jackson wasn't going to win. But it's amazing that every breath you take was actually the song of the year that they were able to ruin Michael Jackson's good time. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. yipes. Pretty impressive. But yeah. Oh, I was so angry when I saw that Phil Ramon was the producer of Maniac. I couldn't even believe it. I mean, look at this guy. And Maniac is so, uh, it's so there. And, you know, that also from that Flashdance movie, What a Feeling by Irene Cara. That was huge. And that's And that's when I think they just said, we, we need to put lots of hits in movies. And then we don't have to care about what the movies are anymore. Yeah. The soundtracks. <laughs> works. Sell, the soundtracks and MTV will sell the movies. It's like these Saturday morning cartoons that are just made to sell toys. It's like, oh, yeah. we'll make a thing called Transformers and we'll be able to sell these toys called Transformers. That's why people make fun of 80s movies. They were not very good. <laughs> they were all just soundtracks. Yeah. Well, Alon, do you have one as juicy for me? I think you'll like this one. Okay, so my question is, what comedic actor who resembles 1983 Billy Joel had the number one movie in America the same week that Tell Her About It hit number one. Was it Trading Places? Oh, no, you said resemble Billy Joel because Trading Place was 83. Was it Mr. Mom? That's the movie. Who is the actor? Michael Keaton. Yes. Oh, wow. Look at me. Second guess. It was a perfect time for white guys with curly, dark hair. Oh, please don't get me started. <laughs> that would have been a good time for me. I guess I was starting my comedy out just because it was a perfect time for guys like me. Yeah. They're like, hey, this guy's like a Billy Joel type. Let's get him on here. Meanwhile, this guy, Jay Dubin, I was just thinking, he, the guy who directed the video, he directed Joe Piscopo's special. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. And also, I, I read about uh, the, who else? Was it Andrew Dice Clay? He did a few of his yeah, specials. He did Andrew Dice Clay's special, too. But maybe that's how Piscopo got into Keeping the Faith. Maybe there's yeah. some connection there. I don't know whether Jay, I don't think Jay directed Keeping the Faith, but. Maybe there's some connection there. The Dubin connection. The Dubin connection will continue in a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's got to write this movie. Well, Alon, I don't mind telling you, I am very excited about this parody. Very excited about our weird Alon parody. Oh, well, I'm excited too. My parody takes place 10 years after 1983, when this song came out. So what would that be? 1993? That's right. It takes place in 1993. And my parody is called Lorena Bobbitt. Didn't you already do one about her? I hope not. You I don't, did? No, no, I didn't. Well, I'm going to look at my list. The people will tell us. 
Let's see. There was make room for a scone. Oh God! No, I'm not going over all them right. Now. <laughs> There's no. I did not do. I did not do it. We probably. I think we just talked about it. All right. All right. Well, let's hear it. All right. Listen, boy. I don't want to see you make mistakes. John Bobbitt made. He abused his wife, so she took a knife and cut his wiener with the blade. She was a real nice girl until the night she snapped. But lucky for John, he got it reattached. Lorena Bobbitt cut off her husband's dick. She drove it down the highway and then threw it in a ditch. Lorena Bobbitt made a crazy decision. She decided John could use a circumcision. Hey now. Oh, great. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I was hoping you, you weren't going to continue. You yeah. said everything you need to say, and uh, it was really good. I decided to cut it short. Oh, you know, it's going to be hard to criticize you now after what uh, Paul Lauren did for us last time. So now it's like, uh, I don't know. Alon's a genius. He just, I can't hear it when he's doing it. But when somebody, when he is backing behind him, he's a lyrical genius. He's a lyrical mastermind. Right. Now I'm just writing with the thought that maybe one day Paul Lauren will cover this. Yeah. Well, that that's that's the first thing I was thinking. <laughs> I hope it, I've never, you know, that's something we should ask him to play because it's fun and no one ever asked anybody to play that song. Oh, wait, we got to talk. He did. A, he has a cover of the song. Paul Lauren does. Yeah. I remember now. No, he does have that song. He did it for Billy Joel's birthday. When we first met Paul, I think we played it even. Because I remember that. You're absolutely right. He did a version of this song. That's to, that's good memory. Listen, boy, don't want to see you let a good thing slip away. You know, I don't like watching anybody make the same mistakes I made. All right, but that's great though because now we know he he likes this song, so he's definitely going to do this parody when we uh, <laughs> yes you know get to an innocent man wrap up. It's all working out perfectly. I really like this song. I'm not putting out a hidden gems, but I really like this song. Just want to let everybody know this is a fun song. This is a good Billy Joel song. Yeah, and it's good that you're not putting out hidden gems because like even though it's rare to see it live, it's a number one song. Let's, let's face it, that's true. Not hidden. But it just it's not good enough for hidden gems. I liked hearing it again, but I don't know if I'd want to hear it three more times. I felt the same way. I liked hearing it again because I feel like of all his songs, it gets lost in the mix. And you're like, this is this is good. How weird is it that his number one song that he's got three number one songs and one he just refuses to play? I mean, the guy's playing Allentown, which is that doesn't work anymore because that was a number two song, but he refuses to play 
He has three number one songs. That's it. Out of 124 songs, he's got three, and he and he refuses to play one of them. That's hilarious. Yeah. So it's tell her about it, James, and what's the other one? The number one songs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, December song, obviously. Oh uh, uh, yeah, December song. Uh, of hello. Course. So, <laughs> that's right. You really don't know how Billy Joel is. He works, do you? <laughs> Well, folks, that was Tell Her About It. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single song. Follow us on social media at BillyJoelA2Z and give us some feedback. Should Billy be playing this live? Should Billy be mad at Phil Ramone for stealing his Grammy? Yes. Do you think Dave should be further along in his comedy career since he started in 1983? Yes. And who's a worse wife, Elizabeth Weber or Lorena Bobbitt? Uh, I'm going to say Elizabeth Weber. Elizabeth Weber by a head. <laughs> hey <-o! laughs> That's nice. Until next time, I'm Topo Gigio. And I'm Patricia the Dancing Bear. You're okay. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. It's now and then you get to worrying Just because you have been spoken for so long And though you may not have done anything Will that be a consolation when she's gone? Listen, boy, it's good information from a man just a word or two that she gets from you Could be the difference that it makes She's a trusting soul She's put her trust in you But a girl like that won't tell you what you should do Thanks for warming them up for me.